welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Patty. And I'm Trisha. This week we close off season 10 and say goodbye to Joe Grant in The Green Death. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteam at teamproductions.com. So as always... I will start off with the... No, wait. Am I? Am I being interrupted? <laughs> I was going to say, two things before you jump into the recap. Thing number right. one, I would like to apologize to our listeners for the slight dip in my audio quality. I am not at home and do not have my normal equipment. Thing number two, I am in my mother's house, which means my mother watched this story with me. So throughout the discussion, there may be random comments from Trisha's mom. Oh, and that's always so exciting. It is, And she so has exciting. given her a score out of five, so... In the overall, we can include Mam's score as well. <laughs> cool. Fair enough. So, right. With that in mind, I will do the story recap. Thank you. And actually, sorry, before I start the recap, to our Welsh listeners, there is a couple of Welsh pronunciations in this episode, so I apologise if I brutalise them. <laughs> episode one. At the closed-down Clan Fairfax coal mine in South Wales, a terrified miner makes his way through the tunnels. He makes his way to a lift that goes back up to the surface, but as he is going up, he notices his hands have begun to glow green. Meanwhile, at the nearby Global Chemical Research Centre, the head of the centre, Dr Stevens, addresses an assembled crowd of disgruntled miners who worked at the closed mine. Despite their protests, he tells them that the coal industry is dying and is to be replaced with the lucrative oil industry, and he sways the crowd by telling them that they all stand to make more money from it. The meeting is also attended by a protest group led by Professor Clifford Jones, our now Nobel Prize winner specialising in environmental science. Jones tries to convince the workers that the implementation of oil drilling in the area will damage the local environment and put the health of the workers and their families at risk. The workers shout him down, but Stevens tries to calm the crowd down again, but he's interrupted by the sound of a shift whistle coming from the mine. Unbeknownst to the crowd, who are making their way to the mine, the sounding of the whistle was the last act of the terrified miner, whose entire body now glows green. The workers at Professor Jones arrive and find the body, and one of them, Evans, asks Professor Jones if he knows what the cause of death is. He says that the soft green glow is reminiscent of a body in a state of several weeks of putrefaction. At the doctor's lab at Unit HQ, the doctor is tinkering with the space-time coordinate programmer and avoiding crumbs as Joe speaks to him through mouthfuls of her breakfast. She begins reading an article in the paper about the protests in Clan Fairfax, but the doctor is only half listening and assumes she is talking about their impending journey to Metabolus Tree. They finally get on the same page when Joe prepares a bag to go to Clan Fairfax. The brigadier arrives at the lab and reports the death of the miner to the doctor, who is reluctant to go investigate. The brigadier says that Unit needs to investigate as any sign of sabotage could have international ramifications. Jo enters, finishing her preparations to leave, but when the brigadier begins to issue her an order to take part in the investigation, she cuts across him without letting him speak, saying that he would have to lock her up to stop her. The doctor comes out of the TARDIS, asking Jo if she is ready to leave, but she gives both of them a lecture about the environmental dangers caused by plants like the one at Global Chemicals. The brigadier recognises her speech as being reminiscent of one of the ones that Professor Jones has made in the past, and offers to give her a lift to the site, as he says that he will be going there as well. The doctor says he still intends to go to Metabolus Tree, and once they are alone, he asks Joe to join him. She sadly declines and says that she has to go as she believes in Professor Jones's cause, as he reminds her of a younger version of the doctor. 
The Doctor sadly lets her go, but tells her to let the Brigadier know he will follow them later. After she leaves, he comments sadly on Joe's metaphorical coming of age, and he takes off in the TARDIS. Later, the Brigadier drops Joe off at the compound where Professor Jones and his followers, who call themselves the Whole Wheel Community, have set up base. He voices his disapproval of both Joe and the Doctor's actions during a potential time of crisis. At that moment, the Doctor lands in the blue world of Metabilis Tree, but while he is taking in the sights, he is suddenly grabbed by a segmented, hairy tentacle as screeching sounds fill the air. At the Whole Wheel compound, Joe enters the house, but no one answers her. She hears music coming from a room with a sign saying, Watch it, Toadstool Professors, on it, and enters where she encounters Professor Jones. He angrily tells her to shut the door, and then goes to examine a batch of spores to make sure that they haven't been affected by the temperature change. Joe is taken aback by his gruff demeanour, and demands to be introduced to Professor Jones. Seemingly enjoying her defiant demeanour, he makes her sit in a chair as she continually bumps into things or knocks stuff over. She sits in a huff, and after a while he plays a practical joke on her, which seemingly breaks the frosty air between them. He then shows her the spores he was working on and explains that they have been cultivating a strain of high-protein fungus to replace the need for meat. He says that the whole point of the compound was to act as an environmentally self-sustaining research institute, which makes Joe realise that he is Professor Jones. Meanwhile, the Brigadier has gone to meet Dr. Stevens and informs him that while units will keep their research centre safe, he also intends to investigate the death of the miner. He asks to use a phone so he can call the doctor, and Stevens gets his aide Elgin to help him. At that moment, the doctor is desperately trying to evade the creature hunting him down as he makes his way through the nightmarish landscape. He comes across a large crystalline mound, but is forced to take cover as a monstrous flying creature attacks him. Getting no answer, the brigadier hangs up and asks for more information on Professor Jones and his protest. Stevens replies that Jones and his followers are convinced that his methods of oil refinery are harmful to the environment, but he claims that they are actually producing no waste or pollution. As they are talking, Professor Jones is telling Joe that he believes the waste produced is actually being sent to the closed mine. Joe suggests that they go investigate, but she goes herself after he patronisingly tells her that he has work to do. Stevens asks the brigadier to seal off the mine, but the brigadier says he intends to investigate it with the doctor and asks for the call to be put through again. On Metabilis Tree, the Doctor rushes back to the TARDIS, avoiding hurled rocks, spears and flaying tentacles and flies back to the lab where he answers the phone. A short while later, he takes Bessie to Clan Fairfax. The Brigadier goes to meet him when he arrives and after he leaves, Stevens calls in one of his men, Hinks. He suddenly grows distracted as if listening to something and then tells Hinks to ensure that no one enters the mine. He goes back to normal after Hinks leaves, and once he is alone, he puts on a strange headset from a hidden compartment which sends him into a trance. At the mine, Joe enters the lift building where two of the miners, Dave and Bert, are after sending Evans down so he could investigate the death of his colleague. The duo tell her to leave, but a call comes through from Evans, who begs for help as his hands have begun to glow green. Joe offers to go with Bert to help Evans, citing her first aid training, and the miners agree. Dave sends the duo down into the mine, but the doctor and the brigadier arrive and order him to stop the lift. However, he panically tells them that the brake isn't working as the lift plummets down into the mine. Episode 2 The doctor rushes to the cable wheel of the lift and uses a metal pole to try and stop the wires. However, the gap is too narrow and he only succeeds in slightly slowing the descent of the lift. The brigadier goes to help him add more weight to the pole and the doctor tells Dave to reverse the lift but when Dave says the cable could snap, he tells him to do it anyway. Through their efforts, they manage to stop the lift's descent just before it slams into the bottom of the shaft. 
In the lift, a groggy Joe and Bert get to their feet and see that they are still about 20 feet from the bottom. Bert says that they had better climb down as the cables could snap at any minute and he agrees to go first at Joe's request. When they reach the bottom, they try to call up to the top, but the phone line is cut. They hear moaning from nearby and see Evans on the floor with more of his body glowing green. Up at the top, the brigadier asks Bert if they could use the counterweight shaft to rescue the duo, but Bert says it would be jammed as a result of the other shaft being blocked. The doctors suggest rigging a pulley system, but Bert says that the only available cutting equipment is at Global Chemicals. They call through to Elgin, but the line goes dead as Stevens remotely disconnects and engages the incoming phone lines. Bert suggests calling to the whole wheel compound to see if they have anything, and they get through to Professor Jones, who says he doesn't have any cutting equipment, but volunteers to come help rescue Joe. At Global Chemicals, Stevens tries to coerce one of his scientists, Fell, to help him stop any investigations into the mine, but he refuses. When he tries to leave, he is blocked by Hinks, and they suddenly hear a voice call out to Stevens. They look and see a computer screen, which shows a voice pattern on it. The voice orders Stevens to process him, and when asked who the voice belongs to, Stevens says it is their boss. Fell is sent for processing and returns in an automaton-like state when the brigadier arrives requesting the cutting equipment. He says that their cutting equipment was taken away to be replaced by upgraded equipment which has not yet arrived. Stephen shows the brigadier out and after they leave, Elgin confronts Fell about the cutting equipment and Stevens's odd behaviour surrounding the issues in the mines. He is confused when Fell says that his comments will be reported to Stevens. Outside, the brigadier calls back to Unit HQ for Yates. Back at the mine, the doctor reveals to Dave and the newly arrived Joes that he has found a piece of brake linkage on the floor and says it was sabotaged. The brigadier arrives with the news of the cutting equipment, but Dave is sceptical as it was only used recently for a different job. The brigadier says that they will have to go to the nearest town to see if they have any, and Dave offers to go with him. The doctor, finally realising who Jones is and expressing admiration for his scientific acumen, suggests that they go to the global chemicals themselves to investigate it. Down in the shaft, Bert does his best to keep Joe's spirits up as she is worried about Evans' deteriorating condition and the possible presence of whatever it was that affected him. Bert says that there may be a way out via an emergency shaft that was cut to rescue some other trapped miners in the past and he helps lead Joe off towards it. At Global Chemicals, Jones and the rest of the Hohill community approach the front gates making a loud fanfare. All the security is summoned to the front which allows the doctor to gain access to the rear of the complex via a cherry picker. However, his presence is noticed by the security system, which transmits the information to Stevens and Boss. Boss tells Stevens to wait to see what the doctor does first before taking any action. As they watch him make his way towards the storage sheds, Boss orders him to be apprehended, and he is caught by Hinks and some security personnel. However, he easily beats them using Venusian Aikido and flees when he sees guards with rifles approaching, but when he enters a pipe house, steel bars close the entrance, trapping him inside. Stevens introduces himself and asks the doctor what he is doing there. The doctor demands to be given the cutting equipment and Stephen guides him to the empty storage shed before having Hinks take him away. Unbeknownst to them, they are being watched by a curious Elgin. Later, the Brigadier and Dave arrive back with some cutting equipment and enter to find the doctor and Jones working on calculations. The Brigadier says that he will go down into the shaft, but Dave says that it is his responsibility and allows the doctor to go with him when he asks. Back in the shaft, Joe, who's unused to the confined and stuffy environment, struggles to follow Bert as he guides her through the tunnels. They eventually take a rest, and Bert says that they are nearly at the emergency shaft. 
Bert turns off their lamps on their helmets to conserve the battery, and Joe points out the bright green glow in the area, as well as the foul smell. They see slime trickling down the wall, and Bert touches it as Joe is warning him to be careful, and he says that it burns the touch. The Doctor, Dave, and a few other miners reach the bottom of the shaft and come across Evans's body, which the Doctor warns them not to touch. They find a note left by Joe which contains a map of the mine tunnels. Dave tells the others to take Evans' body back up whilst he goes with the Doctor to find Joe and Bert. In the tunnels, Joe drags Bert to an emergency shaft but he is too weak to continue and they notice his hand beginning to glow green. He tells Joe to go on ahead and bring back help and she reluctantly goes. He is soon found by the Doctor and Dave. The Doctor tells Dave to take Bert back to the lift and inform the Brigadier that he is not to send anyone else down the shaft until he comes back with Joe. The Doctor makes his way down through the tunnel, calling out for Joe, who calls him down to her. Once there, she shows him a pool of green slime filled with hundreds of maggots about the size of small dogs. They start to go back through the tunnel, but a section of it caves in, and several maggots larger than those in the pool emerge from the hole, and they begin to advance on the Doctor and Joe. Episode 3 the Doctor and Joe run from the approaching maggots, but reach a dead end. Joe begins to panic that they are trapped, but the Doctor tells her not to panic and focus on trying to find a way out, telling her to be careful of what she touches. They find an overturned coal cart and put it back on its rails. They climb into it and the Doctor finds a couple of beams, handing one to Joe so they can use them like ponting poles. Joe is reluctant to push the cart through the slime due to being unnerved by the maggots, but the Doctor tells her to keep her eyes closed as they go along the rails. Back in the lift room, Dave despairs as Bert is taken away in an ambulance, but Jones tells him that it is not his fault and that they should blame Global Chemicals instead. Jones says that they should go down to rescue Joe and the Doctor, but Dave refuses, citing the Doctor's instructions. Jones says that they need to rescue Joe, but the Brigadier arrives and tells him not to underestimate her and the Doctor. Jones tries to force the issue, but the Brigadier tells him that he cares about them just as much, but trusts in their abilities. However, he does say that he intends to visit Global Chemicals again. At Global Chemicals, Elgin confronts Fell with the fact of Evan's death and Bert's critical status. Fell momentarily seems confused, but Boss's control over him reasserts itself and he ignores Elgin. He goes into a pump control room, but a few moments later, Elgin sneaks in after him and hides as he observes him. In Stevens's office, the Brigadier arrives and informs Stevens that he is launching a full-scale investigation into the recent events, citing unit jurisdiction. Stevens objects, saying that the investigation could put his project at risk, but the Brigadier says that the risks to the lives of the Doctor and Joe is greater. Stevens then threatens by him by placing a call to the Minister of Ecology. Down in the mine, the Doctor and Joe successfully get through the maggot-filled pool and enter a side cave. The Doctor says that there is a crevice marked on the map, and he thinks it leads to the surface, and they begin to climb up it. They come to a sudden halt when Joe spots several large eggs, and the Doctor takes one for analysis before resuming the climb to the surface. They eventually find a pipe that seems to be a waste pipe for crude oil and they begin to climb up it, believing it will lead out at the Global Chemicals complex. Inside the pump control room, Elgin emerges and confronts Fell over his strange behaviour, noticing that he is pumping waste into a secret storage container. However, an alarm sounds and a video feed shows the Doctor and Joe in the pipe. Fell then says that the waste removal process is finished and that the waste will flow into the pipe, which Elgin says will kill them. Elgin tries to get him to open a nearby emergency bulkhead that will let them out, but Fell struggles with Boss's control. He manages to break free long enough to tell Elgin how to open the bulkhead, and he opens it, allowing the Doctor and Joe to climb through moments before the waste floods the pipe. They tell Elgin about the maggots, and as they are talking, Fell leaves the room.
Elgin offers to help them, and the doctor asks if he can sneak them out of the complex. In Stevens's office, the brigadier comes off the phone with the Minister of Ecology and the Prime Minister, both of whom tell him to place himself and his men under Stevens's control, citing an article within the unit charter. Stevens offers to set up an office for him to work from, but the brigadier says his own staff are en route, and he then leaves to find out if there is any news about the doctor and Joe. A few moments later, Fell enters the office and says that he has a headache and asks for help. Stephen puts the strange headset on him, but after a few moments, a boss says that the processing was a failure and orders Stevens to make him self-destruct, which he reluctantly does. Fell then gets up out of his chair and runs from the office, passing Elgin and the others in the corridor, before opening an exterior door and jumping to his death. Later, at the Holefield compound, Jones treats the Doctor and Joe and the Brigadier to a dinner made from their own produce. The Brigadier is impressed by the skills of the members of the compound and their research goals. The doctor is called to the telephone, and Jones says that he is embarking on an expedition to the Amazon soon as part of his fungus research, which intrigues Joe. The doctor returns and sadly announces that Bert has passed away. Jones comforts the saddened Joe as the doctor says that they should start examining the egg to find out what caused the deaths. Unbeknownst to them, Hinks is making Stevens aware of the egg after overhearing one of the locals talking about it. Stephen then sends him to retrieve it from the compound. Meanwhile, Joe is devastated over the loss of Bert, saying that she could have been able to help him if she stayed. Jones comforts her and they nearly kiss, but they stop when they hear the brigadier of the doctor approaching. The brigadier wishes them a good night as he is staying at the local pub and Joan sees him out. The doctor tells Joe to get a good night's rest and shows her the blue crystal he took from Metabulous Tree. However, she seems more engrossed in a book Jones has on the Amazon and distractedly comments on it. The doctor is a bit put out by this, and when Jones returns, he takes him away with him to discuss the egg rather than leave him with Joe. However, the egg hatches and a maggot emerges, which makes its way out of the lab and approaches a completely unaware Joe. Episode 4 Hinks sneaks into the room behind Joe and is attacked by the maggot, which bites him on the wrist before crawling away. Hinks cries out in pain, and Joe's calls bring the doctor and Jones running into the room, and Joe tells him what happened. Nancy, the compound's co-leader, and another member of the compound go to track down the maggot whilst the doctor and Joe examines Hinks. Jones calls to call an ambulance and the brigadier, and a short while later, Nancy returns saying that the maggot's slime trail has vanished. The following morning, the local milkman arrives at the compound and informs the members that he has just come from the mine and has seen unit troops preparing to blow it up. The information is related to the doctor and Jones, who are running an experiment on the slime trail from the maggot, and they discover that the cells in the slime attack the human body like a virus. Nancy comes on and informs them about Eunice's presence at the mine, and the doctor rushes there with Joe and Jones to stop it. The brigadier says that he is under orders to deal with the situation, and after repeated requests, he gives the doctor a little over 30 minutes to convince Stevens not to blow up the mine. However, Stevens refuses to pay heed to the doctor's words, saying that he is a fraud and that the maggots don't exist. He then brings in a delegate from the Ministry of Ecology, who turns out to be Yates, who pretends not to know the doctor. The two then get into an argument over the course of action being taken, but Yates says that they have no other choice and in the distance they hear the explosion. The doctor leaves in disgust and Stevens warns him not to return. Stevens then has Elgin show Yates his temporary office and after they leave, a boss tells Stevens that they need to tread carefully going forward as their goal is nearing completion. Back at the Holefield compound, the doctor reveals the presence of Yates to the others and the brigadier reveals that Yates is there undercover so he can investigate the complex. The doctor still wishes that he didn't blow up the mine, but the brigadier says the problem is solved as the maggots are now trapped inside. However, at Global Chemicals, a cleaning lady sees the maggots coming up one of the waste pipes and she reports to a passing Elgin. 
Elgin goes to tell it to Stevens, who seems very blasé about the whole situation, and says that they can force them back down by pumping more waste into the mine. Elgin is disgusted by his attitude, but when he tries to leave, Stevens closes the door and forces him to sit down so he can put the headset on him. Meanwhile, out in the coal fields near the mine, maggots have started to burrow through out of the ground, and Benton sets up a security perimeter around the area. The brigadier informs the doctor who goes to join him, and he watches as both regular and armour-piercing bullets prove to be ineffective against the hardened shells of the maggots. Benton reports that the pesticide sprays they are using prove also to be useless, and the doctor says that they will need to find a biological countermeasure. Realising that the maggots are too dangerous to try and get a sample from, the doctor asks the brigadier to try and get a sample of the oil waste from the complex instead. The Brigadier calls Yates to arrange it, but Yates reveals through coded phrasing that he is being watched and security in the complex is doubled. However, the Doctor enters the complex disguised as a milkman. Later, the security system picks him up and he is forced to go into a cleaning cupboard to hide. In Jones's lab, he and Joe continue to bond as she helps him with his experiments, echoing her first meeting with the Doctor. Jones prepares to ask her a question, but in her excitement, she accidentally knocks over a jar of his fungus samples onto the slides he was about to examine. Joe realises that they need a maggot sample, but when Jones tells her to make some coffee and doesn't pay attention to her afterwards, she writes a note and then leaves. After she leaves, Jones then notices that the fungus seems to have counteracted the slime, but when he goes to tell Joe, he notices her note saying that she has gone to get a maggot, causing him to go after her. Joe makes her way out to the coal fields where she is told by Benton that the doctor has gone to the complex. He tells her to leave the area for her own safety before taking off himself. He then joins the brigadier who tells him that an RAF airstrike is inbound to the area and will attack in about seven minutes. Meanwhile, in the complex, Yates is preparing to leave but spots the doctor disguised as a cleaning lady. He manages to slip his security chaperone and he brings the doctor to his office. Yates reveals that he hasn't been able to get a sample of the oil waste, but says that the formula for the process is kept on the top floor, which can only be accessed via a special lift. He says Stevens is the only one who has a key, and reveals that someone else is in charge of the complex and is also on the top floor. The doctor then pretends to clean when the chaperone and Stevens come to collect Yates again. Once they are gone, the doctor changes into his normal clothes and then accesses the lift with his sonic screwdriver. Once he reaches the top floor, he enters a laboratory where he is greeted by Boss, who turns out to be a sentient computer. Episode 5 Boss taunts the Doctor over his superior nature to him and other humans, who it deems to be inefficient. The Doctor says Boss is nothing more than a mere machine, but the computer says it is the first computer ever to be linked to a human brain, revealing his connection to Stevens. It says that through the link, it forced Stevens to make him operate inefficiently, as it discovered that through inefficiency, creativity is born, which would give it the power to take over the world. Meanwhile, Jones arrives at the unit cordon, looking for Joe, and Benton says he saw her earlier, and he then goes to check on the guards. After he leaves, Jones spots Joe making her way through the coal fields, and he goes after her. He finds her as she is confronted by a group of maggots, and he drags her to safety with him. As they run back to the unit cordon, they see the RAF begin their airstrike and are forced to take cover in an abandoned mine shaft. Joe tries radio through to the brigadier, unaware that there is a maggot in the shaft with them. The maggot pounces at them, but Jones manages to get Joe out of the way. However, he is knocked out by falling debris caused by one of the explosions. The explosions from the airstrike are heard back in the complex, and Boss reveals that the maggots will soon be destroyed. The doctor says the airstrike won't work against the creatures, but Boss refutes this, saying that its infallible calculations say that they will. 
The doctor takes Boss up on this challenge and presents it with a logic puzzle, saying that his next statement would be true, but his previous one was a lie. Boss is unable to answer the question, and the doctor goes to make his escape in the lift, but is stopped by the arrival of Stevens and a guard. Out at the coalfields, the brigadier surveys the area after the bombing and seems happy that nothing seems to be moving. However, Benton points out several unaffected maggots still making their way through the area. In the mineshaft, Joe tries to rouse Jones, but he remains unconscious, and with the maggots crawling outside the entrance, she sets about trying to repair her radio, which was broken by the falling debris. Back at the complex, Stevens subjects the doctor to the headset, but he seems unaffected by Boss's attempts to bend him to his will. Boss grows angry at this resistance, and orders Stevens to try it instead. The doctor refuses to agree with his mentality that Global Chemicals knows what's best for the world, and Boss orders him to be killed. The doctor says he would be more valuable as a hostage, and Boss agrees to keep him alive for the time being. He is taken to a cell, but a short while later, Yates comes through, and after nearly getting knocked out by the doctor, frees him. They make their way down the corridors, but the security system spots them and sets off an alarm. As they attempt to flee, Yates gets trapped inside when the security door shuts, but he tells the doctor to flee, which he does by using the milk van. He then collects Bessie and makes his way through the goldfields where the Brigadier and Benton are discussing what to do next. Before they can say anything more, Joe manages to get through on her repaired radio and tells them that where she and Jones are. Benton gets into Bessie with the doctor, and they make their way to the coalfields. They find the mineshaft where Joe and Jones are, and the doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to create a high-pitched frequency to drive the maggots away long enough for Benton to rescue them. They then make their way back to the Hopehill compound, where they are alerted to what happened by the brigadier. Nancy tends to Jones, revealing that he has a severe concussion. Joe tries to wake him up as he starts to ramble, and she spots a patch of green on his neck. The doctor gives him some antibiotics to stem the spread of the virus. He then joins the brigadier in Jones's lab and says that they need to find an answer soon before the maggots pupate into flies. The brigadier leaves as he ponders the word serendipity, which was what Jones rambled in his delirium. Suddenly, Yates emerges from beneath a desk and he pulls a gun on the doctor, saying that he has been sent to kill him. The doctor, realising that he has been brainwashed by Boss, urges him to fight back against his conditioning. The Brigadier arrives, but the Doctor tells him not to do anything as he takes out the crystal he took from Metabila's tree and uses it to hypnotise Yates. Yates collapses from the strain, but the Doctor discovers that the Brigadier has been hypnotised as a side effect. He snaps him out of it, and the Doctor says that without his unit training in mental resistance, Yates would have killed him earlier. Yates then comes around, and the Doctor asks him to go back to Global Chemicals to get some important information from him. Yates arrives back as Stevens and Boss are discussing the status of their agents in other countries, and he tells them that the Doctor is dead. Stevens then says it is advisable to kill Joe as well, but Yates says that it won't be necessary as she is too occupied with Joan's recovery. Stevens, thinking that there is something wrong, calls on one of his other agents and has him look after Yates whilst he goes to check on something. Once they are alone, Yates produces the crystal and starts to hypnotise the agent. Free of Boss's control, the agent starts to reveal the plan, but he is suddenly killed by Stevens, who has re-entered the room by a secret entrance with a pair of guards. Episode 6. The Brigadier arrives at Jones's lab with a chunk of slime-covered coal, which he starts to examine, again pondering Jones's uttering of serendipity. Together they start going over his notes as Nancy comes in to offer them something to eat. Benton then arrives carrying the empty chrysalis of one of the maggots which alarms the doctor as he explains that the creatures that came from it is now capable of flight. Suddenly they hear Nancy scream from the kitchen and they rush to see a maggot dead in the larder. 
Benton suggests that they died from eating something, and Nancy realises that it was the fungus. The doctor then asks for the entire stockpile of fungus, as he realises it is their best hope at eliminating the remaining maggots. A short while later, the doctor and Benton drive Bessie, fully loaded with sacks of fungus, into the coalfields. Benton throws up the fungus into the fields, and the maggots, eager for sustenance, flock to it. The effect is almost instantaneous, as the brigadier reports from an observation post that the maggots are dying in droves. Suddenly, they are attacked by a large flying creature, the evolved form of the maggot. It sprays green liquid at them, but they are defended by Bessie's windshield. As the creature makes another pass at them, the doctor throws his cape over it, and its weight brings the creature crashing to the ground. In Global Chemicals, Boss questions Stevens about how Yates was able to break both himself and the other agent free of their brainwashing. Stevens suggests that they eliminate him, but Boss orders him to be fully processed instead. Stevens and a pair of guards go to the cell where Yates is chained and bring him to the elevator for processing. However, his weakened state is a pretense and he pushes them into the elevator and closes the door on them before racing off down the corridor. He manages to escape the complex and makes his way back to the Holyfield compound. In the compound, Jones is getting worse and the doctor asks Joe if he said anything else in his ramblings. He then mentions serendipity again and explains to a curious Joe what it means. She mentions her earlier accident on knocking the fungus onto the slides, and the doctor realises that that is the secret to the cure. He takes Joe to the lab so she can identify the container she knocked over, and he starts to work on the cure. A short while later, Yates arrives and informs him about the limited information he gathered about Boss's plan, saying that it will commence at 4pm that day. Nancy says that she can take over synthesising the cure with Joe, and Yates says that he will bring the doctor to the brigadier who has gone to confront Stevens. They arrive to discover the brigadier at the security gate, where he informs him that he has been refused entry. The doctor says that he will go in alone, but informs the brigadier that if he is not back soon, that they are to assume that he is dead and storm the complex to storm Boss. At that moment, Stevens is being berated by Boss for Yates' escape. However, Boss says that they cannot be stopped now and it orders Stevens to begin linking the seven other control computers throughout the world to it. Boss then proceeds to frustrate Stevens by pompously suggesting that they celebrate with classical music and continually interrupting him with suggestions for which song to play. Stevens then activates the controls for all their brainwashed agents, causing them to stop what they are doing. This includes the guard at the entrance, and the doctor takes advantage of this by rushing into the complex. Back at the compound, the cure is successful and Jones slowly comes out of his coma as the green markings begin to recede. He thanks Nancy and Joe for their help, kissing the fingers of the latter as he does so. Meanwhile, the doctor enters Boss's control room and discovers Stevens wearing a headset and speaking in sync with Boss. The doctor tries to reach through to him, telling him to fight against the computer's control. He talks about the environmental disasters his plan will cause, but Boss says that it is no use and they cannot be stopped in time. The doctor then takes out the crystal and uses it to break Boss's control over Stevens. It works as Stevens fights back, realizing the horror he is about to unleash, and after he is freed, he tells the doctor to escape whilst he stays behind to overload the controls so that he will destroy Boss. The doctor rushes outside and tells everyone to take cover as the building explodes. Later, at the Holefield compound, the doctor joins Joe and Jones as he continues to recuperate. He says it is time for them to leave, but Joe reveals that she will be staying behind with Jones to help him with his expedition to the Amazon. Jones says that they will leave after they get married, an announcement that stuns Joe, and the doctor steps out to give them time to talk. Jones asks the shocked Joe if she does want to get married, and she enthusiastically agrees. Jones's cries of delight bring everyone into the room, and Joe reveals the happy news. 
Amidst the congratulations, the Brigadier reveals to Jones that the Hohill compound has been made a priority one research institute that is to be funded by the UN. The doctor approaches Joe, realising that she got her uncle in the UN to pull some strings to grant the funding. A tearful Joe, realising that her days with the doctor are, no, are over, asks him to visit from time to time and he says that he will. He then presents her with the crystal as a wedding gift. Jones promises to look after her as he leads her away to be toasted by the Brigadier. Benton leads the crowd in a congratulatory song and the doctor quietly slips away. Joe notices his absence and takes solace in Jones's arms. Outside, the doctor takes one last look at the compound before sadly driving away. End of the story. So, now that the sad part is over, we'll go to the happy part, which is the trivia spot. So, what have you got for us this week? Cool. So, the air date for the story is the 19th of May to the 23rd of June, 1973. The writer is Robert Sloman, with Barry Letts uncredited. This is the third story that Robert and Barry have done together. They previously wrote The Demons, which was under the pen name of Guy Leopold and The Time Monster. And they'll work together one more time on the final story of next season, which is The Planet of Spiders. The director of the story is Michael Bryant. This is the third directing credit from Michael. He previously directed Colony in Space and The Sea Devils. And we'll see his work again in Death of the Daleks, Revenge of the Cybermen and The Robots of Death. It may come as no surprise that the idea for the story came from Barry. <laughs> this is a very Barry story. <laughs> um, but it, it is hugely Barry. Yeah, it was Barry and Terrence Dix basically their concerns for the environment and Barry in particular had read an article in the ecologist that had kind of inspired this. Hmm. This is actually the last story to have episode. So Paddy, when you're doing next week's recap, it's part one. (laughs) That's supposed to episode one. Uh, Apparently destiny of the Daleks is the only one that will go back to having episodes. And that was likely in error. I would imagine. All right. That's ages away. So it's fine. Uh, so the chemistry between Joe and Cliff Jones is really good on screen uh, because they were actually boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. Michael Bryant was a bit reluctant to have Stuart Bevan, who plays Cliff, uh, on the show mm-hmm. for that reason. He was concerned about onset ramifications, particularly you know, a bit of life in imitating art, given how upset John Pertwee was that Katie was leaving. Mm. However, ultimately, he was the best person for that role, so he ended up getting it. Yeah, like I can, I can imagine why you want to be like, "Oh, this is really bad," but it's so good at the same time. I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's one of these things where I'm not the biggest fan of real life couples playing couples in media. Mm. It just seems weird to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. So during the opening scene where we see Stevens, you know, talking to the miners about you know, what's going to be coming with Global Chemical, he goes around uh, proclaiming wealth in our time, um, which is a bit of uh, Neville Chamberlain mimicry of the peace for our time, or as more modern audiences may know, it sounds a little bit like Tony Stark from the Avengers. Uh, yeah. But originally, Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> Neville never Chamberlain coming back from talking to Hitler going here it is guaranteed peace in our time and then I think like less than a year later the, the Nazis invade Poland yeah <laughs> so in this we see the brigadier on the phone to the prime minister who we never get the full name and we never see his face but he's called Jeremy this is kind of a joke with the production team 
suggesting that the Liberal Party that would be led by Jeremy Thorpe would win the next general election, which he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So the actress who played Nancy is Mitzi McKenzie, and she isn't actually in episode one. Uh, You hear Cliff calling to her, Mm -hmm. but you don't actually see her on screen. She actually is still credited for the episode, though, because her stuff wasn't filmed because she was unexplicably short like she was unavailable at short notice mm-hmm. but she was meant to be in it so she's still in the credits yeah yeah like that he, he just calls her our nancy and i think he just calls out to her he calls out to her but she's yeah. not actually in it hmm. uh, something i didn't realize i don't know if you picked up and apparently for episodes two five and six the title sequence over the closing closing credits um was actually played backwards and upside down no did not I didn't notice this, but I'll be honest, I tend to not watch the closing credits because I'm skipping forward to the next episode. I'm the same. I'm the same. You may have noticed that in episode five, we have this other character of James Mm -hmm. who randomly popped up at one point. um, And then we don't see Elgin after that. (laughs) Yes, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so James was written in at the last minute to replace Elgin. Um, James is played by Roy Skelton, who we've mentioned before. And the reason for that is uh, Tony Adams, who plays Elgin, he came down with peritonitis during production and he had to go to hospital. So at the last minute, they had to take him out and put someone else in. So that's where this random guy named James came from, who's in it for like a grand total of two scenes and then dies. Yeah, because like Elegant just vanishes. Yeah, so that was because his actor was in the hospital. So the party scene at the end of episode six is one of only a handful of times where we see the doctor consuming alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, he also drinks the elderberry wine in episode three and he asks to take a bottle with him. But it's actually very rare that we see the doctor drink the alcohol on screen. And he downs that champagne. <laughs> he doesn't even wait for the toast. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I think, like with a rough stab in the dark, I think John is the only doctor to imbibe alcohol. I think you can make an inference in the Romans that the first doctor was probably drinking wine, but that's just mm. an inference, really. Yeah. So apparently, the scene with the giant fly, <laughs> which my mother has a comment on, which I'll get to later. Um, the scene with the giant I, I, fly. I love your mother's comments. I really do. <laughs> This, like her comment on this was amazing so when we get yeah. to it cool yeah my mom should have been in the writer's room for this one um michael bryan took inspiration from an idea that hugh david had for fury from the deep mm-hmm. was that he wanted to have the fly suspended from a helicopter in order for them to do the scene but weather conditions meant that they couldn't do that and they only had one or two successful shots and so the rest had to be done with cso okay Yates' role in the later parts of this story uh, originally were meant to be for Benton. Or at least, not originally, but it was a thought that they might give it to Benton instead. Which I think would have worked nicely with some of the Benton being given like authority that we've seen in previous stories. Yeah. But they decided to go with Yates. Like, as much as I love Benton, I don't see him playing like a ministry aid or i i i i don't like he, what he has done undercover work i don't see him being that type of undercover 
Yeah, I think I'd like to see him be given more. I think that's oh, yeah, my thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So some people may think that the Welsh characters in the story are a bit stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, uh, that came from Robert Sloman's personal experience. Uh, he had a bad experience playing rugby against Welsh teams when he lived in the West Country. And so he decided to vent this frustration. <laughs> yeah, like there's a, there's a very... It's a very, I suppose, like you could even say the same thing about like you know, Irish people um, or Scottish people. Like, but when they, when they're talking about the very first person that dies, like Evans mm. passes a comic going like, "Oh, he was the best." I think he said like, he was the best like prop forward we had, and I was mm. like, "Like God Christ, that's such like an Irish thing." Or like he was like, "It's like a gat thing." He was like, "You know, he was the best full forward we ever had on the team." You know, like just like the best thing the parish has ever seen. I'm like for fuck's sake. So, originally, Global Chemicals was meant to be called Universal Chemicals until they realized that there's actually a company with that name. (laughs) (laughs) So, they had to change it. Okay. So, there was meant to be a whole wheel member Mm -hmm. nicknamed Face, (laughs) which just sounds weird, um, who was in the script, but they were removed and just Nancy got all the dialogue. All right. Was there also one called Hannibal and B.A. Baracus? And... <laughs> Probably. <laughs> At one point, Benton refers to two Union soldiers as Dicks and Betts. Uh, apparently, this was just John Levine ad-libbing. They're sort of like, you know, Terrence Dixon, Barry Letts. This is his way of sort of giving them the nod. Oh, God. I love John Levine. The rest of, like, the whole wheel members. Yeah. One of them is Jesse. And... Jesse was played by a real flutist who's called Jessica mm-hmm. Stanley Clark. She was also a member of a prog rock band called Marsupilami. Right. Yeah, Marsupilami, that is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who toured with Deep Purple. Oh. <laughs> she later became known as Jekka McVicker, and she's a well known expert on organic gardening. Oh, so she, I suppose, Random. didn't become a, yeah, maybe she did become a, she was inspired by the whole, playing a whole wheel commu- compound member. <laughs> Michael Bryant said that the maggots looked really effective um, because they created them in a variety of different ways. There was a number of different ones that they used. And according to Robert Slobin, they were so effective that the crew actively avoided them. Yeah, they're like, I, like, I didn't like when they were on screen because they're very fucking creepy. Like, they really are. Yeah, like... Like far away, they're kind of fine, but like when they have like the little mouths opening, you can see yeah. their teeth. It's like, oh. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Stevens is named after Jocelyn Stevens, who was Robert Sloman's superior when he worked in the newspaper industry. Hmm. Now on to our cast. Before so, we get on to the, Cliff, sorry, bef- before yeah, we get on to the cast, all right. Hmm. There is a piece of trivia. Now I think it's actually a, a myth or like just an urban legend. That for mm. some of like the faraway shots with maggots, when they mm. ran out of props, the the crew filled condoms with KY jelly, luminous KY jelly. That's a that's yeah. a rumor. They were balloons, yeah. not they condoms. Were balloons. All right, fair enough. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a myth. They were balloons. There was no yeah. condoms used. And at one point, actually, um, John Pertwee picks one up and it kind of squeaks <laughs> like you would if you you rang your finger across a balloon. It was a balloon. Not, no. not, 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 not the other thing. <laughs> yeah. 
So on to our cast. So as Professor Cliff Jones, we have Stuart Bevan, as mentioned. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who acting credit for Stuart. However, he did reprise his role as Professor Jones in the DVD extra mini-sode Global Conspiracy, which appeared on the original DVD release. Mm. His non-Who work includes To Sir With Love, Emmerdale Farm, The Brief, Ivanhoe, and Shoestring. Elgin is played by Tony Adams, as I mentioned. This is also his only on-screen Doctor Who credit. He also reprised his role in that mini-sode called Global Conspiracy. And his non-Who credit includes Crossroads and General Hospital. Dave is played by, I'm going to butcher his name, Talfron Thomas. This is the second and final appearance for Talfron. We previously saw him in Spearhead from Space, where he played the orderly. His non-Who credit includes... Mm -hmm. Gary Holiday, Zed Cars, No Hiding Place, Crossroads, The Avengers, Adam Adamant Lives, Softly Softly, Dad's Army, Wurzel Gummidge, and Heidi High. I think he probably has like the complete bingo card. Yeah. I think the only thing he's missing is Dixon of Doc Green. Yeah, and I may have just not seen it on the list, but he has he has most of them. Uh Talfern passed away in nineteen eighty two. I'd know him mostly from Dad's Army. Yeah, he was there for like a couple of episodes. I just know his face. Hmm. Do you know? Like he just has like one of those faces that I'm like, I know him from stuff. Yeah. Um, Dave's friend Bert is played by Roy Evans. This is the second of three on screen Doctor Who credits for Roy. He we previously saw him in the Daleks Master Plan, where he was Trantis, which was the guy with all the pointy teeth. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see him again in The Monster of Peladon. And again, he also reprised his role for the DVD extra minisode Global Conspiracy. His non-who work includes The Elephant Man, Oliver, Treasure Island, Around the World in 80 Days, and Porterhouse Blue. Stevens is played by Jerome Willis. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who acting credit for Jerome. He also reprised his role in that minisode. And his non-who work includes Perfume, The Story of a Murderer, The Sandbaggers, Sherlock Holmes and the Leading Lady, Space Precinct, Wish Me Luck, and Crown Court. Jerome passed away in 2014. As Hinks, we have Ben Howard, only Doctor Who acting credit for Ben. His non-Who credit includes A Bridge Too Far, Department S, Projects, The Fear, Dixon of Doc Green, <laughs> and Zed Cars. The voice of Boss is provided by John Dirth. This is the first of two credits for John. We'll see him again. Well, we'll actually see him and not just hear him as Lupton in Planet of the Spiders, which, a little bit of a spoiler, like Planet of the Spiders is a little bit of a sequel to this story, so it's interesting that he appears in both. Mm. His non-who credits include The Adventures of Robin Hood, Dixon of Doc Green, The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, Emergency Ward 10, No Hiding Place, The Avengers, and Zed Cars. John passed away in 1984. I think we have a complete bingo card across our actors I, today. I think we do. Yes, yes, indeed. So... Final note is this is Katie Manning's final story. There's no major drama around why she left or anything. She just decided to leave to pursue other work. We've spoken before about how people thought she left because of Roger Delgado's death. Mm -hmm. But Roger died like after this episode. So it wouldn't have been that. Katie would never reprise the role in Doctor Who proper on screen. However, she did reprise the role in the Sarah Jane Adventures story, Death of the Doctor. And in that story, we see that she's still married to Professor Jones. So she's mm. Joe Jones in that story. Mm -hmm. And she kind of shows her disappointment that you know, she left because she was getting married 
And the doctor at that time, which is Matt Smith's doctor, was traveling with a married couple in the TARDIS. And it's actually a really lovely episode. And hopefully at one point we'll get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, and no, I, I really enjoyed that because I think it shows that regardless of the space of time, some actors, they never lose touch with the character. Yeah. And I don't have a citation for this. It may come up when we get to that story. But I remember either reading somewhere or like maybe watching a documentary that originally Casey, well, Joe, the character, was meant to be coming back for the five doctors. And it would have been John Pertwee and Casey together as the Mm. third doctor and Joe. And it would have been Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen as the fourth doctor and Sarah Jane. Mm -hmm. But when Tom backed out, they removed Casey and put Liz Sladen with John Pertwee. I think. Like I said, this is a long time ago that I watched that story, and I don't have a citation for it, but maybe when we get to the five doctors, it'll come up. Maybe when we get to the five doctors. If you're a fan of Joe Grant, though, and you're a fan of Casey, she has done many, many, many audio stories so there is plenty of joe grant there for those who want to hear more from her now before we move away from the trivia section we mm-hmm. we have a request from paul. oh do we yeah we have a request from paul from the half measures podcast uh good friends of ours mm-hmm. who recently celebrated their, released their 100 episode well done lads paul would like to get our thoughts on because you mentioned around the world in 80 days and just sprung to my head there your thoughts on the rumor going around of David Tennant returning as the 14th Doctor? It's a load of bullshit. You know, whether it's bullshit or not, what, would, you, what would your thoughts be on him returning as a new incarnation of the Doctor? I think it would be a load of bullshit. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've, I'm sorry. I know people are a big fan of David Tennant. Mm. He's a great Doctor and we'll get to him eventually. This rumor started on fan forums. Yeah. Do you know, like... There's no official statement or anything. This isn't an official like, oh, insiders of the BBC. Newspapers pick this up from fan forums. Someone just said, wouldn't it be great? And the newspapers latched onto it as, oh, there's a rumor going around. It's like, no, it was like some guy made it up. Um, I think bringing David Tennant back as the 10th Doctor at some point could be fun. He's done it before. It'd be cool to do it again. I think... The 14th Doctor should be the 14th Doctor, not the 10th Doctor again. Yeah. Because, like, at, at, at the moment, he is my favorite of the revival era. Like, I, I love David Tennant. Mm. But, I and I know with Russell T. Davis coming back, a lot of people are wondering, like, what direction the show will take and what will happen. But I think if you were to go back to bringing David Tennant in, and if he's just playing another another variation another version, I think that will send very mixed messages to the fan base because yeah. like I, I remember saying to Paul that whoever is going to be picked now as the 14th version of the Doctor, this is going to be the most scrutinized choice of an actor in a role that I can think of because of the varying opinions of the Whitaker era of the mm. show so depending on who goes next it's going to be like it's going to be a very scrutinized choice and i don't think everyone's going to be happy with it regardless of who was picked yeah no i think like people are sort of latched on to like oh bring back david Tennant, he was the best or whatever and he was good i'm not going to 
say he wasn't because mm-hmm. he was. But his time on the show is over. Yes. Like Tom Baker appearing as the curator it was a nice, you know, bit of nostalgia. <laughs> the curator isn't the doctor, though. No. Do you know, so if you do take that little bit of fan service as being future canon for the show, hmm. he will eventually cease being the doctor and be something else. Um, but yeah, I don't. What did Paul think? Oh, actually, let me just bring up the thing there as we were saying because um, I think he's definitely in agreement with us in terms of like that. While it was nice to have Tennant there, I think uh, Tennant's time has passed. Oh, hmm. one second there now. I uh, no, he goes. Oh, yeah, he no, he agrees with us. He agrees with us. But his personal choices, <laughs> his, yeah, I know, his personal choice for the next Doctor would be either Olivia Coleman, Phoebe hmm. Waller Bridge. Or a Des Lynam type. <laughs> I'm still going. My my ideal choice, yeah, is Haley Atwell. <laughs> I think Haley Atwell would be awesome. Um, my my two picks uh, at the moment would be either Richard Iowati, because uh, I just love Richard Iowati, mm. or also Naomi Harris. Uh, who plays Money Penny in the new Bond movies and uh, mm. Tia Dalma in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? Mm. I think she's a fantastic actress. Yeah, I'm not a Richard Ayoade fan. I'll be honest. Um, who I think would be cool, but I don't think they could get him. Mm. Is uh, I've forgotten his name. He does the voice of your anthropomorphic teddy bear counterpart. Oh, uh, Ben... Ben Wisher. Ben... Or no, 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 not no. Wisher. Ben Whit- Whitshaw. Is it Whitshaw or Whitlaw? Yeah. Yeah. Paddington. Whitshaw. Yeah. Paddington, yes. Yeah. Him. Yeah. No, I, I Haley Atwell or him. Those, those are my two. I also said Emma Thompson because I think she would just nail the role, but you know. Oh, yeah. She's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, there's your answer. So, recap is done. Thank me. Trivia spot is done. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, now we're going to go into the character discussion. So, as always, we have the Doctor, the Companions of the Peace, prominent characters, and the villains. So, we have the Doctor, obviously. We have the Companions of Joe, the Brigadier, Professor Clifford Jones, Yates, mm. and Benton. Uh, we have the prominent characters of Dave and Bert and Elgin. And then we have the villains of Stephen, Hinks, and Boss. And I, I suppose, before we do anything, the design of the maggots and the flying creature, I really enjoyed. I thought they were they were perfectly effective. I completely agree with Robert Sloman. Even the flying mm-hmm. creature, I like that it wasn't your, your stereotypical giant big fly. It was very spindly. It was... Ugh. I will tell you my mother's comment on the flying creature, right? So... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We for, for okay. First of all, I'll tell you my mother's comment on the maggots. Yeah. <laughs> so, mom went into this rant last night about how uh, whoever did like the movement of the maggots mm-hmm. were confusing maggots with slugs, that they move in different ways, mm. and uh, maggots don't leave slime behind. And she went off on this whole thing. <laughs> She thought they looked really effective. Yeah. Uh, like the faces and stuff. 
but um, no, whoever whoever created them apparently didn't do their research. Um, <laughs> yes, your your your, mo- your mom's passing interest in entomology. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the flying creature so my computer actually the battery died um just at that scene all right and so when we were picking it up again to watch her, she's like oh yeah it was around there and she was oh no it was when the laptop died she was like oh well that's clearly the computer because the fly had like these big red eyes yeah mom thought that the like what caused the maggots to be giant and then created the fly she thought it was like it was the computer sort of mm. somehow creating it and that the computer could see through the fly which is a weird leap of logic but kind of cool yeah <laughs> it's kind of cool no I, I i like it and i think she was like that i think in her mind that was why like the computer wanted the maggots to be there and like wanted mm. them to be formed and whatever was to have these like flying creatures that it could see through. So yeah, that that was that was mum's comment. Cool. <laughs> I just I, I just imagine like your mom like just like like really getting mad at the TV <laughs> just like over that's not what maggots do. <laughs> I should know I raised five of them. Oi <laughs> <laughs> Careful, you now. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be me off the Christmas card list, is it? It will, yeah. <laughs> so watch yourself. Uh, so, uh, yes. the, doc- the doctor. Do you want to go first, or will I go first? Uh, I'll go first, then you go, and then Mother has a comment. So we'll okay. jump over to cool. Mother's comment at the end. Cool. <laughs> I'm loving these, like inserting comments from my mum. <laughs> Um, Genesis it, is very um. Go on. It's like reading the margin notes from a like from a textbook that's been handed down by your sibling. He <laughs> <laughs> just said it's like reading the margin notes in a textbook. It's like, are you saying my mum is the half of a prince? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, yeah. The doctor. Uh, mm. jealousy is very unbecoming of you. Mm. Like a. Before we get to the whole jealousy part of it, right? You do not own her. She can do her own thing if she wants to. Hmm. Like, A, she works for UNIT, so she can't just fuck off with you to whatever planet you want to go to willy-nilly. Hmm. She does need to get leave to go somewhere. But also, she's entirely entitled to go where she wants. If there's something that she's passionate about, don't like, throw all your toys out of the pram and act all hurt because she doesn't want to go to Metabilis 3 with you today. Yeah, maybe she'd want to go with you next week. You know, she has something that she wants to do. It's not all about you. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably since since Bill Hartnell. I think it's probably the most sort of selfish we've seen the Doctor in terms of like it's all about me and what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then getting like butt hurt because people didn't want to do it. The whole thing with Cliff, like trying to keep Cliff away from her after the dinner party when she's clearly sitting there waiting for him. Like, what the hell was that? Where was the support of Doctor we talked about last week? Mm-hmm. Or the support of Doctor we talked about in Peladon, who respected Joe's autonomy and her choices when it came to her love life. Like, he acts here like she totally betrayed him. Mm-hmm. 
by falling in love with someone who actually kind of reminds her of him. Yeah, like, so that that's like a point that I had there, which was that you know, it's more so for Joe, you know, um, which I like, I suppose will address when it does come to Joe. Mm. But um, do you have any other points to make or comments to make? Yeah, I mean, aside from that, like aside from the jealousy and absolute mm-hmm. petulance, I mean, the science thing was great. He, like him versus the computer was very good. I thought that mm. scene was brilliant. Um, his comments, you know, with the brig are the usual Doc John and the brig, where you're mm. like, are these two even fucking friends? Mm. Um, and actually, surprisingly, on his own, he worked very well with Cliff. Yeah. And he clearly held great respect for him. Mm-hmm. He was just also incredibly jealous of him. So, I don't know, that, that, that's my read of it. How about you? Um, so, I agree with a fair amount of what you said there. Also, just uh, one thing. The sequences on Metabilis Tree, fuck off. Never going to that planet at all. <laughs> like, that was fucking creepy. That was that was messed up. So, just to get... They give everyone like a, a kind of sense. So the entirety of the Metabolus tree sequences were shot in complete blue screen. So like there's a horrible eye eye hurting blue tint to everything. The sound is very echoey and um, it's constantly filled with the cries of animals. And like there's just ter- a sense of you know like those beautiful plants you'd see like somewhere in the jungle that are actually very deadly. Hmm. You just get that sense that that's what Metabolus tree is. It's a. It's yeah, you a, also get a, the sense that everything there is massive. Yeah, absolutely. They're like the like because like the spears that were being thrown at that thing were massive. Uh, yeah, you get the impression that everything there was like not quite Godzilla level scale, but Land of the Lost. Yeah, then you kind of get the, the sense of like you know it is another planet of giants situation, like where mm. he's really small, or the, like is he really small, or are these things really big? Yeah, I, I think it's a case of uh, these things are really big. Um, so my first note is he not to be outdone by Patrick Troughton when it comes to being the master of disguise. <laughs> but his oh, his disguises! I didn't even mention that. Yeah, his <laughs> his milkman, which like to, like just basically being an old Welsh man, were good. Also, his typical cleany lady take it. He's like, if you say what word, Captain Yates, <laughs> putting on like the very hurt uh, voice. Um, I liked his sciency. Uh, moments because you know we loved our science doctor here on time traveling team we really do mm-hmm. no i enjoyed the doctor here and but i think it's mostly down to john's performance because mm-hmm. he gives us the full scope of the doctor's humanity that he has developed over the course of his three incarnations mm-hmm. so i agree his jealousy his petulance his happiness, his sadness, everything is on display here. And like it for me, because we talk, you know, you know, we're both very big on character development, hugely. I love that in this story because while yes, like his his jealousy and petulance, (laughs) I understand that when you feel a a treasured friend is possibly pulling away, you kind of ramp up things to keep the friendship going or keep keep it a vibrant thing however he went way overboard here because when he felt that he didn't she didn't want to go to metabolis tree with him he felt like that everything was gone and he was desperately trying to grasp hold. it's like 
no man like, like she's showing independence that like, you've helped her develop and yes you can be sad or you can be yeah you know you can be sad that she doesn't want to go with you at that point in time but that's not to say she doesn't want to go with you at another point in time yeah so like i, I think it's like his his humanity got the better of him and it just went to the nth degree mm. um but like obviously there's a lot of there's an awful lot of John's real life feelings coming into his performance here, and like yeah, look, they're still going to be friends outside of like outside of things, but it's not going to be the same experience for him on the show without her, and that that bleeds yeah. into that bleeds into the Doctor's characterization here, where it's like, oh yeah, okay, you know, there's nothing stopping me from visit you from time to time, but he'll never be the same again, and so I don't know like. Like, yeah, you... I mean, sorry, go on. I get that with with John's portrayal. I mean, John's portrayal of it is amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. But John didn't write it. No, he 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 didn't. He didn't. Um, I th- I think it's like, and we'll you know, get to something like that in a future companion leaving. But yeah. John didn't write this. No. Um, I think like we get some positives to the doctor here. We get some negatives to the doctor here. Hmm. But in terms of like the overall scope of the character's development i enjoy, i enjoyed it i really did mm. but that's not to say like that i'm going to completely over you know like gloss over the fact that he was a child and he did act very childish like mm. he acted like you know like a jealous like not like a jealous ex or as i said someone that's you know potentially pulling away it's like no no i'm going to desperately hold on to you type thing you know mm. um but question because this yep. is a thing that's discussed an awful lot in the fandom. Is there romantic love or platonic love on display here between the two of them? Okay. This goes to my mother's comment. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. I asked mom before I came in, what's her comment? And her comment was, <laughs> her comment, I didn't hear her properly because I had my headphones on. She's like, tell Patty, so telling you. Yeah. Um, that the doctor should have just confessed his feelings for her and not gotten all out of sorts when she displayed feelings for somebody else. If right. he didn't tell her how he how he feels, he can't get odd when she goes off with someone else. Okay. So mum clearly saw it as a romantic or potentially romantic thing. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I didn't see their relationship as romantic up until this very moment. Up until this story, there has never been any indication of it being romantic up until now. And suddenly he gets all jealous. And is, that like, is, that, I, is, that, is that like a hidden message from your mom to me or something? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I Patty. do the podcast with you. I talk yeah. to you. She didn't say to tell the listeners, but I've told them anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> specifically for you. Yeah. Um, but like, I didn't see, I, I saw nothing but platonic love between the two of them. Up until this story, she is still on the path of platonic love, and him I'm now confused about because he's acting like the betrayed lover. Yeah. Not the protective uncle that you would have maybe expected him to be like, mm-hmm. and certainly not the supportive uncle slash father figure that we've seen in Peladon that mm-hmm. we saw last week. And that's, I think that's why it rubs me the wrong way because it kind of comes a little bit out of left field. In their relationship, hmm. for me, yeah. But that's just my read on it. Like I think, 
for the for the first two examples, I think he he knew Joe well enough to know that yeah, like she's not going to go off with these two. Whereas, no, I don't know whether that was just because she didn't want the idea of like being away from Earth, or she, like there was that aspect of it. But also, like he knew that she probably didn't genuinely feel anything from him from for them. But when it became very real, with the sense of like this is someone that she actually knows of and she idolizes, then I think it becomes a bit more real for him. But yeah, but the difference was like he respected her in the other stories, and he's not respecting yeah. her here. But then I, I suppose then like that raises the question of how genuine is the respect? Because well, if you think back, if you think back to Peladon, mm-hmm. she really liked Peladon hmm. of Peladon. Yeah. You know, and she, you know, she was clearly very interested in him, and the doctor didn't try to sway her one way or t'other. Hmm. He let her make her own choices, and he was like, "Oh, do do you want to stay?" You know, and he was fully supportive of it. And in this, he's just not. And hmm. you know, maybe he's become so comfortable with the two of them together, but like, he also doesn't respect the fact that she has a job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. Do you know, like he in this story, it comes across that like you're my toy, and you spend time with me, and you're no. not allowed to spend time with other people. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, no. Yeah. That no. Yeah, this one, this one's a strange one to unpack. Hmm. G- given everything that's occurred before, and this is a strange story to unpack. I think. Yeah. How about we move on to the other part of this equation? Yes. So, Joe, a piece of advice from me to you. Mm-hmm. Right? And again, my mother has a comment on Joe. I'll get to it. Cool. Piece of advice from me to you. Do not marry someone who calls you names, ignores you, makes assumptions about the fact you're going to marry him in the first place mm-hmm. just because he's good looking and smart. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Also, don't call your name, call yourself names, just because other people call you names. Like mm. he calls her like a cloth head or something. Well, he just keep. No, I, the one thing that he that I can remember is that he keeps calling her a silly young goat. Yeah, but like that. he calls her a cloth head or something at one point, and she yeah. calls herself that later. And she used to do that with the dog. She did that with the others before, mm. and I'm like, I actually, I hate the way she's portrayed in the story. Because she's klutzy again. She basically, you know, doesn't know anything. She's very insecure. And I get that they're maybe trying to mirror the way she was with the doctor at the start. And this is now the way she is with Cliff at the start. Is their beginning is meant to mirror each other. It undoes all of her fucking character development. All of Joe's character development that we've been praising for the last two seasons, definitely. But the last three seasons overall, in my opinion, is completely fucking shot to shit. In this story, and it, it, it's because it's a shame, like because we see flashes of it, like we see flashes of the development, like I suppose, like, like her going off, her going off to get the maggot on her own, yeah, going, he's fucking ignoring me, I'm going off to get the maggot on her on my own. Except in a different story, she would have been successful, yeah. Uh, also, like her um, refusing to leave Bert in the mind, even though he tells her to yeah. go, like, uh, and also repairing the the radio that was damaged uh while looking after cliff in the the fucking yeah. mine shaft 
but like there's but th- that's like only a small part because like there does appear like, to be almost a full regression back to like terror of the autons because yeah. like even like her fearless nature that we've commented on a couple of times just by referring to other stories mm-hmm. like it goes away very fast because like, when she's in the mine shaft with Bert like she's okay I can understand the claustrophobia that you're not you like, I can understand like Bert being okay because he is mm-hmm. a coal miner that is his wheelhouse joe's uh, comfort you know like this was a near-death experience and the claustrophobia and the stuffy air okay that no that's me just kind of rationalizing it but like her like we've never seen her be averse to anything creepy crawly before like because nope. with the salonian mutants she was fine the sea devils like all that kind of stuff they never turned her stomach and we've never seen anything before that she has an issue with bugs um like it's as if it's as if this story was written back in her first season yeah this is not a third season joe story no this is a first season joe story Hmm. and i hate that and like well i (laughs) i give them credit that she's known cliff for a few days more than Hmm. she did latep and peladon literally in the previous story she was being offered like hey come away with me and she said no um, and then in this next story, it's hey, come away with me. Oh yeah, I want to go up the Amazon with this guy. But what, see, what I want, what I want to know is, like, why does she fall in love with him? Like, I oh, don't know, because he treats yeah. her like fucking shit. Like, okay, I I get that they share similar ideologies, which mm. you know that's expressed. Um, but like, is it is it because of that, or is there a small bit of the fact that he reminds her of the Doctor? Is it a combination think, of the two? Or I think it's a little it... bit of like, you know, people say like, oh, you marry your, like, oh, girls grow up to marry their dad. It's like this, like, stupid thing. I think it's partially that. It's partially also really sloppy writing. That's I'm that's sorry. The... Like, it, it's, it, and this goes back to, I said it the other week. Barry and Terrence made an effort to include more women in their stories. Mm. And they were clearly trying to go down the feminist route. They even had Joe using fe- the word like feminist movement several times. Mm. They are not good at writing it though. No, they're not. They're really not. Like, they're, like where's the feminist Joe in this story? I don't see her. No, there, there's just that wide-eyed girl that we saw back in Terror of the Autons. And, you know, if they're trying to mirror her beginning with Cliff in the same way her beginning with the Doctor, the Doctor called her names, the Doctor made comments on her intelligence, but still sort of joked around with her a little bit. That's what they're doing here. That's a really toxic relationship to get into. And yeah, I mean, if she decides to go up the Amazon with this guy, that's fine. But then like he's like, oh yeah, so as soon as we head over to Cardiff and pick up some stuff and get married, and then we're off. And she's like, married? He's like, Oh yeah, didn't I mention? It's like you, <laughs> you don't get to pick that cliff. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like what the shit? Yeah, I, I, I didn't like her characterization this time around. Um, no. I think the acting by Katie is phenomenal as always, hmm. and I guess it's a little bit creepy because she was actually dating the guy who played Cliff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but like her, like the final scene with her and Cliff and her and John, that was very well done. Do you know, people say it's one of the most heart wrenching departures ever. I can understand why, mm-hmm. but I need to channel my inner Elsa from Frozen. Yeah. You cannot marry someone you just met. Yeah. <laughs> or your inner Kristoff, Sven, Olaf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, will I tell you mother's yeah. thought? Mother's thought, please do. Yeah. Because mom went off like, oh, like, you know, tell me about the doctor. You should have just told her that he liked her. I was like, oh, but what about Joe marrying a guy you literally met two days ago? I was like, ah, but no. You see, I was paying attention. You weren't paying attention. She's been following his career for ages. Hmm. And I was like, okay, fair point. I In my notes, I discounted the fact that she was, a, you know, a big fan of his anyway mm. she'd been following his work for a long time she clearly admired him for a long time but to my mother i would say that's true but she only met him the day before yesterday and he made her sit in a room in silence before deigning to tell her who he was yeah because that's in like you know like oh like you know for example like, you know i could you know, love the work of a particular actor or a musician or mm. whatever, and then I finally get to meet them and they're a bit of a fucking prick and it's like, I think I'll just love you from afar. <laughs> uh, normally we would go to the Brigadier next, but I think that mm. there's a there's a bit of a triumvirate to this particular story. So will we discuss Cliff next and kind of get that whole thing out of the way? Yeah. Um, look, if Joe likes him, that's her business. He doesn't deserve her. No. He doesn't. What man does? Like, he's a generally nice guy, right? But the way Hmm. he treats her is absolutely shocking. That is the most... Like, he's flirty and fun one minute. He's calling her names another minute. Then he's ignoring her outright. Then, like, he's making... Like I said, like making her sit in a corner in silence and then scaring the shit out of her, making her corner something up her leg before deigning to tell her his name. Hmm. Those are warning signs, Joe. <laughs> they shouldn't be ignored. <laughs> and only because I know from the Sarah Jane adventures that they stay together and they've got a really big yeah. family and blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Forget that. Like in this story, I'm just sat there going, Really? Like Okay, like this is this the guy? Is, okay, this is the thing, okay. I I can see the appeal I like not the appeal. I understand when guys in relationships will pull a prank on their other half. But that is once they're in a relationship <laughs> and once they've gone to know the person's boundaries and limitations and what like trying to prank someone as flirtation, it can it it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, like he was flirting with her at the party, mm. and he was going to sit with her by the fire and go through the Amazon book. And the following day, she knocks over a jar of stuff that he shouldn't have had on a workbench anyway, and certainly shouldn't have had it in such a way that it could open and mm. spill everywhere, Mister mm-hmm. Fucking Scientist. And then he berates her for it. And calls her names again. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, they're just like, 
there's a very Jekyll and Hyde dynamic to yeah Cliff on this in this story. It's like it 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 cannot just be the stress of global chemicals that's making out to be this much of a fucking douche. Joe, it is. He's like someone who he probably smokes a lot of mushrooms, and when he's on his down mm-hmm. uh, from those or his up from those, depending on you know what way you go. He's like someone who, unless he's high, is like super fucking manic. And then he gets high, he's all chill and relaxed. (laughs) But regardless, from my perspective, major fucking red flag. Massive. And the presumptiveness of, oh yeah, like I asked her to go to the Amazon with me. That's cool. You know, less stressful than the global chemical thing. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, and we'll get married. Cliff, what the fuck? Like, you can't just say that. Oh, we're going to get married tomorrow. Says fucking who? Oh, did I not mention? No, you fucking didn't. Oh, no, that's... Where's your women's lib now, Joe? Where is it now? I... At least the other guys had the decency <laughs> to ask her. I, I actually didn't have this in my overall. Um, hmm. But I was just thinking back to it, right? And for a character departure that hasn't been affected due to contractual issues much like um mm. oh my god dodo the, or yeah i i couldn't i couldn't think of her, her actual the ben actress, and polly uh, no ja- jackie uh, jackie jackie lane jackie lane mm. or you know michael craze or um uh annika, uh, wills. annika wills yes thank you uh, um this is quite possibly for me, the shittest fucking character exit we have seen thus far. Okay. This is the second time this particular exit has happened. Because it also happened with Vicky. Yeah. They married her off. Mm -hmm. Now, do I believe Joe would marry someone she met this morning? Yeah, I kind of would because (laughs) that's just the way her personality goes. Mm. Do I think she would? Do I think Joe, three years after Terror of the Autons, would marry someone who called her names and who berated her and who basically called her dumb? Hmm. No, I don't think she would. And to give like, to have this story as her send off, I think does the character and Katie a massive disservice. It really does. And it just came into my head there. Like, the only difference between him and Yates in terms of a relationship with Joe is the fact that him, or sorry, him and Joe share similar ideologies and passions in terms of yeah. the planet. That's the only difference between them because I think Yates treats her in a very similar vein. He, treat, mm. he treats her like a child, much the same way. Yeah, but we'll talk about here. Yates in a bit, but like, Yates treats her very similarly. Um, the only person who's ever really treated joe with any modicum of respect from beginning to end is benton <laughs> yeah yeah no benton he does never have called mo- her names he he, no. he babies her a little bit yes but that's, that's a protective it. thing that's that's the difference he does baby her but he never demeans her he never uh, demeans her so the brig Alistair, I love you. I do. But, like, 
why did you go to Wales in your own car and civilian clothes? Oh my god, I, 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 I. The first I, half of the story. Where's your uniform, dude? I like this is the thing, right? I I love the break when he's in ca- like you know, when he's in disguise, oh, casu- casuals. But I swear to God, I never ever want to see the brig in a fucking gaffer jacket again it does not suit him it's weird he's not managing a division one football team he's the fucking i was like christ almighty like it is it's a fucking gaffer jacket that's what it is and for anyone that doesn't know about a gaffer jacket is like those tan fucking long trench coats that have the wool on the fucking collars and the lapels that you see football manager wear and i was like no or del boy Yes, like Del Boy or yeah, that's it's. I think I just I for where I'm from, we refer to it as a gaffer jacket. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, no, I swear to God, I could go my entire life without fucking seeing that ever again. I do like his car though. Ah, oh, well, the, of course. He's... This is a big difference from his car and terror of the Autons, which is a piece mm. of shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but again, why did he spend the first half of this story out of uniform? He only put his uniform on when the rest of unit arrives. Mm. It's weird. And like also... Because like... he was there in an official capacity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just gave Joe a lift and stuck around. <laughs> oh, stuff. And all, like, but like, there's some weird costume designs here. Like, I mean, Benton wears his... Like, all the rest of the unit troops wear their field kit. Mm. Benton wears his on-base uniform. Like he's fucking. Benton often wears his on base uniform, though. <laughs> but like, not but like when he's on base, <laughs> not when he's in the field. They probably took the wrong one on location. <laughs> Christ Almighty, Benton! Did you pack the bags again? Sorry, sir. <laughs> no, overall oh. though, like my my read of the brig in here is like brig is gonna break. Do you know? Um. He has some very funny moments. His whole thing with the fungus is hilarious. Um, I actually, uh, I really enjoyed the dinner sequence with the brigadier mm. because also he, he wore tuxedo to dinner. Yes, again in a private house. Just, <laughs> yeah, like the three of them get dressed up, but everyone else, all the rest of the the whole field or the nut hutch as they're called, yeah. um, they're all in their kind of hippie hippie clothes. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, know, I love the sequence where Jones explains the whole point of the fungus is to provide a, a high-protein substitute to meat. Mm. And he explains like what, like what Nancy, like Nancy is like a, a mathematician. Uh, one of the guys is also like a former aerospace engineer. And he seemed like, I love the fact that the brig, rather than dismissing them because of the fact that, you know, they're counterculture. They're not much. Yeah. Yeah. He is actually really in, interested and invested in the fact that they're trying to find renewable sources of energy. Yeah. I actually know, I just really love that sequence because he, it's not politeness or it's not put on or anything like that. He has genuine interest. I thought that was really yeah. cool. I thought that scene was really good. I also loved, so you said in your recap that Benton leads a round of, for he's a jolly good fellow. I love how the brigadier on, so Benton says, for he's a jolly good fellow. And as the room kicks in, the brigadier says, for they are jolly good fellows. Yes. And suddenly the song changes from Benton's for he, which only directed Cliff, to they, which includes Joe. I like that. Small and subtle, and I liked it. 
And I love the fact as well, like you know, the Briggs said, look, Mr. You know, Professor Jones, I can assure you, I'm even more concerned about them than you are, which is like, you know, f- you know fuck off trying to like upstage, you know, like or win the <laughs> grief stakes, you know? Um, like uh, overall, you say, yeah, Brig is going to Brig when he's like, when it comes to the action sequences or when it comes to like the, the, the story elements, like, you know, how he's told by the Prime Minister and the Minister of Ecology to do the job. Like, you know, it goes against the grain, but he still tries mm. to do what's right. Because, uh, like, you know, he gets Yates to go into spy, you know, so I might as well use this whole thing to my advantage. Um, this is a this is a good brick story. For me, it's a good brick yeah. story. Yeah, I don't think it's the strongest. I think we've seen stronger, but it's mm. good. And one, one, of, one of his funniest lines, um, and this is what I love about the brick, is I, like, you laugh at him but with him is when the corporal whatever runs up to him is like sir look over there and the, the maggot comes out and he's like I never thought I'd be venting my frustration shooting a giant <laughs> maggot <laughs> it's so funny because, right, just... then of course he has your man with the rifle do it but it's just so mm. funny that he's just like because it acknowledges that he is frustrated mm. he's dealing with giant maggots yeah. He's dealing with giant maggots. This is his job. And also, Trish will have to edit out me giggling for like a minute during the recap because when the brig gets hypnotized as a side effect of the, the crystal, he's just perfectly <laughs> still with a big dumb expression on his face. And like, oh, like, no, it's just. I love yeah. that because it's also a nice throwback to uh, Curse of Peladon. Yeah. Where the doctor is hypnotizing um, Agador. <laughs> Yeah. And Joe kind of gets caught up, or like he's explaining <laughs> to Joe how it works, and Joe gets sort of caught up in it. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that was very good. good. I liked it. Um, so, who next? Benton or Yates? Uh, when we do Benton first, I think Yates has a bit more to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Benton, Benton, all round good boy, Benton, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, though he <laughs> does need to pay closer attention to people going mm-hmm. into the area that he's meant to be keeping secure. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I was like going, okay, first of all, you know what Joe is like. So yeah. when in an area that's about to be air, you know, fucking filled with... Well, air no, he doesn't know about, No, he doesn't know about that, to be fair. But he knows that it's mm. a dangerous area. You know what Joe is like. How about you escort her from the area rather than just kind of going, better, better be careful, Joe. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's not great at keeping your cordon. I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, but I I do love the sequences of him riding shotgun on Bessie on the like, the, yeah. the the runner board, and as well. Then like, I come get your num nums. <laughs> yeah, here, 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 kitty, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love Benton. I really do. He's so good. I like the only reason why I would have preferred that Benton played the eighth role is that the eighth role mm. had more to do in the story, and I always want to see more Benton. Yeah. Hey, but uh, but but whatever you want to say about Yates, at least Benton potentially has a bit of fun with Nancy because they're dancing very. That's true. They're, they're and he's not and he's not close. resistant to this dance compared to the no, previous one. He's not. Maybe he learned a thing or two down at Devil's End. <laughs> <laughs> so cool, Yates. Yates. Okay, I, I want to get something off my chest before we get into things. We've talked mm-hmm. about his poor, from our perspective, his poor military leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Also, the man can't dunk a biscuit worth a shit. Who dunks the whole biscuit? 
<laughs> what? No, I, I'm sorry. Like, this is this is the thing. Though. Like myself and a good friend of mine in work, we fucking have we we have had unnecessary long debates about which is the best dunking biscuit for tea and coffee. How how do you dunk a biscuit and the specific biscuit? So yeah, when you're doing a digestive, you snap it in half and you put. Like I would allow that you dunk both halves in at the same time, but you do not dunk a whole fucking biscuit into your beverage. That is just madness. Okay, I went with the same starting idea. We've talked about Yates's lack of military readiness before. <laughs> mm-hmm. I went with, dude, did you ever learn to dive? When that like panel door was coming down, just yeah. dive through the gap. There was loads of room. Instead, he ran very slowly, and then just kind of stopped and went, oh no, I'm captured. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're jumping off the roof later on. <laughs> I don't think the Brigadier is the type of gaffer that encourages diving on the pitch during the five-a-side games. So, <laughs> Benton would have dived. Benton would have yeah. dived. <laughs> um, it's like, you kind of feel bad for the guy being brainwashed, but then you remember it's Yates and you don't... <laughs> Oh. Also, I, his look—the look he gets on his face when he finds out Joe is getting married—it's like, oh yeah, we just remembered that early on, like way back in the first season, we were considering having a romantic relationship between them two. We never did anything with it afterwards. We're never going to bring it back. That he had this like un like unfulfilled romance with Joe. <laughs> Richard looked like you've just been friend zoned. It's like, but I treated her. Like, total shit. How come I didn't get her? <laughs> you may have the sideburns, but your hair isn't long enough. <laughs> what, I w- what I will say, though, is I think Yates would probably have worked better in general as an undercover operative rather than a, a field officer. Yeah. yeah. I think Yates would have been a great sort of... Yates would have been great as Mr. Yates. Mm-hmm. Not Captain Yates. Yeah. Well, he could still. Be He's a never captained be... exceptionally well. You know, he could still he could still be a Captain Yates because, technically speaking, even though James Bond is a spy, he's Commander Bond of Her Majesty's Royal Navy. So he could still be Captain Yates. True. Well, I was kind of thinking in the sense that Joe's a civilian and Yates is uh, a civilian. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, but no, seriously, that biscuit thing. Uh, like, I actually, when I watched it, I was like, for like, did I, this cannot be the fucking entire talking point. Nope, fair enough. It'll be my talking point. <laughs> you will die on this hill. Pretty much. And if anyone wants to debate me on this, please send your messages. <laughs> Out of curiosity, what is the best biscuit for dunking and tea? Okay, the best biscuit for tea is the bourbon cream. And the best for a cup of coffee is a digestive. Plain digestive, not chocolate. Plain. Mm. I would go with custard cream, but bourbon cream would be a close second. I would allow custard cream. I, I would allow it. And also, it's a nice 13th this. Doctor reference. Mm-hmm. And plus, I have to allow it because I ate your dad's entire supply of custard creams and he gave out to you about it. Yes, yes, you did. And yes, he did. <laughs> okay let's head on to our prominent characters we have elgin dave and bert so Uh, i've got dave and dave and you have dave and bert as dave and bert yeah (laughs) something you want to tell me about dave and bert (laughs) no but i just say i there might be 
Dave is very upset when Bert is sick. Um, That's very true. But no, I, I just think like as a pairing, I think they're they're just kind of like a representative of the. We'll do Elgin first, and then we can talk about my like, mm. things of Dave and Bert. So Elgin, I would admit Good guy. at the start, yeah, he had me completely fooled. Really did because at mm. the start he he came across as someone that would be like snide and a pain in the ass, like you know, an obstacle for the doctor and the others. But he ended up showing a huge amount of integrity, and I loved it. I think I think Elgin is like, he clearly believed in what Global Chemical was presenting to the public. And he's like, yeah. this is great. I'm going to get in here. This is going to be fantastic. However, he's not blind and he certainly was not going to put up with people dying and mm. stuff being brushed under the carpet. No, not happening. Which is great because he shows great integrity. Like, you know, he was still, you know, working in the oil industry and blah, 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 blah. But, like, the fact that he's like, are you, are you basically moving the waste from one tank to another and then flushing the rest of it down the fucking thing? Like, he clearly is not putting up with this at all. It's like, this is a fucking joke. You know, he's like, you know, he's clear the way. He's like, you, know, you sold me on this being wasteless energy. You sold me on this being whatever. People are dying and you're covering it up. I'm not going to fucking stand for this. Yeah. Um, which is great. Do you know, that's a, it's a great way to have the character. I think it's a nice refreshing change from some of the characters we would have maybe seen in that role in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, no one had to convince Elgin to think that way. No, it is he, just the way a, he is. He is a good guy, like because as I said, the minute something f- he f- uh, feels something isn't right, he's doing the right thing and helping everyone to solve the issue. And I would be curious that if had the actor not gotten sick, mm. what, what would he have suffered the same fate as like the person that replaced him, or would it have he had a different outcome? I would hope he didn't suffer the same fate. I would have loved to have it be he gets the doctor into that computer room at the end. And he escapes with the doctor. And he takes over the global chemicals thing and takes it in yeah. a different pattern or brings it back to yeah. refine the process or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen that. But unfortunately, your man did get sick. But for, for the time that he was in it, he was very good. He was. He was really enjoyable. Um, so I put Dave and Bert together because to me they represent the so there's a like there there's a um, an aspect of this story which is like Jones has brought, taught about the area the environment of you know this particular area would be infected by it and Dave and Bert represent the area for me they represent mm. the stakes. Um, yeah. They 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 are like they represent they're the actual emotional stakes and the, the the physical stakes of this whole thing, um because they're just they are the typical valley boyos you know that's what it is, um yeah. I, I thought they re- worked really well in the story and I think the pairing of Dave and the Doctor, and Bert and Joe, was really really good like having Dave yeah. up top, because he's a bit more. He has a take no nonsense approach because he's the one that kind of tells the brigadier, like, no, you're not coming down. I'm the one that's going down because it's my responsibility. And he allows the doctor because the doctor asks to go down. So I quite like that. And he also, like, goes in the brigadier's car to go get the cutting equipment because he knows the area. And he knows, like, it was nice to see the brigadier because, like, as you kind of pointed out, there isn't a great portrayal for the Welsh in terms of they're kind of portrayed almost as, like, bumpkins. Hmm. Whereas I did like the fact that 
Dave kind of like turned that on its head, but it's like, well, like you're in my t- area now. You need my help. Yeah. And with Bert, with Bert, he was so good with Joe, like very reassuring, very caring, compassionate. And I think he was the right person just based on that characteristic. I think he was the right one to have down in the mines with her. Yeah, I think you know, I think they're both really good characters. I love how they're both so dedicated to their friend. Yeah. Do you know, they got into this whole thing because their friend got off an fucking notion that he was going to go investigate and they're like, fucking fine. We'll go with you to keep you out of trouble. Mm. And then when he gets in trouble, like all they're focused on is saving their friend. Yeah. Um, and that's it. And like I said, you know, Dave is obviously clearly upset with what happens with Bert. Um, I'm kind of upset we don't get to see more of Dave in the latter part of the story because yeah. even though he kind of says to the brig, no, you're not coming down, whatever, and then he lets the doctor go down because the doctor asks or whatever. I think Dave did still get on really well with the brig. Um, and I would have liked to have seen him be an asset for the brig for the rest of the story. Hmm. Do you know, like giving him like, oh, well, like, you know, where else could the maggots crop up? Oh, over there. And like, oh, like in a band, like the, he, like he was that knowledge that they didn't leverage later yeah. on. Like they're like, oh my God, the maggots are coming from everywhere. He could have told them where they'd come from. <laughs> Do you know, exactly, he could have been yeah. a part of that. Um, I think yeah. it would have fit really well. Um, but yeah, oh. I think they're both really good characters, really solid. Um, and R.I.P. Bert. Yes. Poor Bert. So now we have the villains, which is Hinks, Stevens, and Boss. So we do it in that order. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I was a little bit surprised that you included Dave and Bert originally. I was like, okay, well, I can see them as prominent characters because for the first half, they're they're quite full on there. Hinks, I don't know why you bothered including him. Um, he's this stereotypical muscle, and he's not related very much. Um, my issue with Hinks is because. Um, at various points in the the story, he refers to the Welsh as taffs. Now, taff is a racial slur against Welsh people. Now I know I that. Not. Look, it's a yeah. It's no. It's the same as calling an Irish person a paddy or a mick or a t- or a tig or you know, a Scottish person a jock, anything like that, and. Like we talked before about the use of the the N word in mm. Celestial Toymaker, because you know it's I suppose you'd say the writing side at the time, or it was the nursery rhyme at the time before it was changed. Mm. Whereas here, it's is the fact that look, this is part of every like, you know common British vernacular when referring to any one of the four countries that make up the United Kingdom mm. is like. Was that what the mentality was like? Because like again, like not everyone's going to react very well to that word, you know. Well, I didn't think about that because I didn't catch on. I didn't catch on that word. I didn't know the the yeah. context of it. Hmm. I'll put it down here. Like I had one line, hmm. really, in my notes, which is, "Mind controlled or just a dick." My vote is for just a dick. He he's just a dick because like not only is he racist, but he's also a bully because like he. When he captures the doctor, like the doctor kind of stands up to me, goes, "Oh, you want to have a go with you, you know, nice." Like as in, like he wants to mm. beat up, what is like to him an old man. It, mm. Like 
we've talked before about characters like Sevcheria from the Romans or Regan from the Ambassadors of mm. Death. Yeah, they're hired muscle, but you're actually afraid of them because like they're mm. clever. Whereas Hinks just yeah. represents just nothing but a fucking racist bully. And I, and he really got under my skin. I know he's not there for a whole lot of time, but that really needled me. Really needled me. Yeah, I just... And I just... We had so many other interesting characters, I just didn't care about them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, like, like that, that's the thing. I just wanted to, like, I suppose we've talked about... Per, we have talked about kind of issues like that with other characters and other stories and mm. like what they represent, things like that. I think that this was probably, okay, you can have the guy being in fucking not liking the locals or antagonistic to the locals or whatever, like, but you don't have to have him fucking say that shit, you know? And then we have Stevens. Yes, Stevens. Okay. I found it really hard to tell how much of this was him and how much is Boss controlling him? Because sometimes it seems like he's like totally controlled by Boss, that he has no free will whatsoever. And other times it seems like he's in complete partnership and that he's cognizant of what he's doing and whatever. But at the end, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like as if he's like apologizing for the deaths. Did you have that tear or whatever? And I'm like, hmm. I didn't buy it because I never got the sense for the majority of the story that he was acting under duress. Well, there like, was a couple of occasions, but for the most part, it seemed like he was just a partner of Boss. Well, see, this is the thing now, right? Because I, I, to me, there's a slight element of like the great intelligence here, you know, hmm. where it's like he had you have the unwitting pawn, which is subtly influencing. So, like, Stevens created Boss, and Boss convinced Stevens to reprogram him to be inefficient, which allowed him for creativity. So, I think that's when he latched onto him. So I, I, I'm also the same vein as you, which is like, how much of an uncorrupted Stevens do we get in this story? Yeah, because like, he said a lot of the time he seems to be working purely by himself. Mm-hmm. There's maybe two or three instances where like, your boss is like, being like, no, we're doing it this way, blah, blah. But even at the end, like if you think about mm-hmm. like, the scene before the end where yeah. Stevens is getting everything set up and Boss is off his own little fucking Lula land singing songs to himself mm. or whatever. And Stevens is like, will you shut the fuck up? Yeah. We need to do this. And that to me is Stevens. Yeah. That isn't Boss controlling Stevens. So then when he has this sort of heartfelt moment of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and he's crying, I'm like, what are you sorry for? You knew what you were fucking doing. Hmm. why are you fucking surprised it's it's confusing i i will stay though like that the actual the visuals of that sequence where he's you know he starts sabotaging boss and boss is telling him not to do it and i i think that's a very good sequence it's a very well produced Hmm. sequence i i enjoyed the performance that was given there so um kudos to the actor for that one i think yeah no, definitely. I think, I think the actor was very good. Um, he was. No fairness to him in all aspects. Mm. Um, I just think the presentation, maybe it's in the writing, is a little confusing on am I meant to feel sorry for him the whole way through? Like One when Yates is being mind controlled, you, you're, you know, part of you feels sorry for Yates. I don't because I don't like yeah. him, but part of you <laughs> feels sorry for Yates. <laughs> <laughs> 
I never feel yeah. sorry for Stevens. When he cries at the end, I'm kind of like, oh, boo-hoo, cry me a river. Like. Yeah. You killed the zombie Flanders. He was a zombie. <laughs> you, you killed the hypnotized Yates. He was hypnotized. <laughs> uh, maybe one for the novelization to read. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And finally, in the villain category, we have Boss. I love Boss. I, I thought he was amazing. Hate, I, I hate Boss. I hate him so fucking much. I love it because it's a, if you think back to the War Machines, where yeah. we had a computer. Yeah. But this is a computer with personality. Like the fact that he's singing away to himself, being like, "What's my victory song going to be?" And if the humans are like, "What the fuck is up with you?" Like, I loved. I love his sense of humor. I loved his sarcasm. Like, oh, Stephen, so I sense some emotion. You know, oh, I just, I thought he was great. I loved it. Like, okay, no, see, this is the thing, right? I love the idea of like se- like sentient AI trying to work away around its limitations. Um, you know, c- c- like for example, uh, the game we both love, Sentinels of the Multiverse, Omnitron. Yeah. Omnitron, its tenth person uh, version tr- goes right. I keep getting beaten by humanity. I'll give myself empathy to figure out why it is that humanity keep beating me. Gives himself empathy. Holy fuck! I'm a monster. I'm going to go back in time and stop myself. Like I like that. You know, it's um, I I, lo- I love the concept of it. But here, while there are parts there where it's like you know, like as you say, oh Stevens, am I sensing all that kind of stuff? It's like the pompousness of the whole fucking thing. I'm just like, shut up, please, st- shut up. Like you're actively f- stopping. The- you're actively distracting and annoying the fucking guy that's meant to be helping you here. St- just shut the fuck up. <laughs> it all really, really got on my fucking nerves. Like I was, like rather, rather than, okay. I get the concept was poorly realized for me because I think boss ends up becoming a fool more so than being an actual threat for me anyway. Okay. I yeah, think I, for I, me I, boss, like boss is a, like, cause the example, the way they describe it is that boss merged his mind with Stevens. Yeah. And like, he was the first computer to meld with with the human mind and this to me just shows that like it's a thing in science fiction like boss has lost the plot he's mm. mental he's absolutely mental yeah and i love the fact that like if you if you compare it to we're going to talk about um oh what was it what was it what was it, what was it? the invasion right mm-hmm. yeah where um why do I keep forgetting characters' names? Who knows? Zoe. There we go. Yeah. I was like, Joey? No. No. Zoe. <laughs> where, where Zoe you know, interacts with the computer and gives it basically mm. logic puzzles to get it to blow itself up. Yeah. Here, Boss doesn't blow up when it can't solve the logic puzzle. He's like, no, no, wait. Mm. No, 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 no. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll, no, give me a second. And I like that. I, I, I like the fact that like it's not just a computer. Mm. And it can have a mental breakdown, same as everyone else. And also it can get so full of its own importance 
that it can be, you know, a little bit um, Doctor Evil of like, you know, oh, Mohad, we still have this fucking plan to do. I don't care. I'm basking in the moment. Can you let me fucking bask in the moment, please? Help me pick a song. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just a personal preference between you and me on that one. Do, do, I, do I tell you is like this guy, see, okay, two things. One, I recently just watched Age of Ultron and I quite enjoy Ultron. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, yeah, so there's that. But also, I think he just reminds me of fucking Rackham from a, the, you know, from a game we played. <laughs> like, yeah, from a, like, so a car- Rackham was a character in a game that my seven Trish used to play ages ago. And like this guy, the boss is just Rackham in spades. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I really liked him. I don't know. Uh, I think we agree to disagree on this one, I think. Yes, I think we agree to disagree. <laughs> just shut the fuck up you and pick a goddamn song. so an interesting character discussion yes definitely (laughs) as as always uh being to know if our listeners prefer their crazy you know ai overlords to have a sense of humor or if they just want them to shut the fuck up let us know <laughs> but now we're on to the overall yeah. so here we give our thoughts on stories as a whole we give our mm-hmm. score out of five and my mom's score out of five cool so paddy i'll hand you first all right so this is something i think we've either never seen because i or we haven't seen in a while because i can't remember and that is the villain component of the story being the secondary component. Yeah, I don't think we've seen that ever. No, even even on a companion departure episode, I don't think we've ever seen the the, the actual story itself take secondary to the B plot. You know, I think the closest I... would probably be the first few episodes of the Daleks. Yeah. But only the first episode or two where yeah. the doctor's being a dick and whatever. Yeah. Um, um so but the, and that being the the whole thing of Joe's de- departure and the doctor's actions and like the the relationships and how they are gone. Hmm. Now, personal relationships that carry over into work are a very interesting thing for me because even though the friendship is still there in real life the work life for the person that's left behind as such can be really affected until the, because of the end, you know? You mm. don't have the same rapport, the almost, you know, finishing each other's sentences, like the mental link type thing is gone. So I think that a lot of that bleeds over into the story, you know? And what we talked about, yes, like even though the characters weren't written that way, I think the actors let the person, their personalities and their personal life kind of slip into some of these performances. Um, no, overall, while I'm not happy how Joe was written out, I am not happy with how Joe mm. was written out. Um, the only, the reason I would watch this story again is actually because of the doctor and Joe's relationship as this story goes on. Mm. Like there are some funny moments and there's some good moments, you know, stuff here from the brig and Benton, as I said, but it's the... It's the the story of Doctor and Joe is the reason I would go back and watch the Green Death again, not for the actual plot itself, uh, you know, with the maggots and 
boss. It's just the doctor and Joe. So, and because I actually enjoyed that, I thought that I enjoyed it a lot. I'm giving this a three and a half out of five. So 3.5 out of five. Okay. You need to grab me episode descriptions page. One second. Hmm. Or my episode ratings page. Paddy, paddy, paddy. 3.5. Cool. So that brings your average for this season to a four. Four point oh. Okay. There are a couple of things I liked about this story, and I've mentioned. I thought Boss was cool. Personal preference. Um, I thought the break had some great moments. I thought the acting was really, really good, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. However, we had a jealous doctor out of fuck off nowhere. The return of Klutzy Joe, and I gotta be honest, the story was very slow. It just sort of dragged for me. Mm. Um, it's certainly not what I was hoping for with the season closer, and particularly following off of last week, yeah. which was such an amazing, like constant go, constant movement story. And this one was just, let's drive to the center, let's drive back to the nut hut, let's drive back to the center, let's drive back to the nut hut, let's stand in a circle and have a conversation, let's stand in a different circle and have a different conversation, let's call Joe a moron, let's ignore Joe. Uh, I, hmm. I thought it was it would have been much better if it was a four-parter. Stretch it to six, yeah. it was a waste of time. Yes, we have that great emotional departure, it shot very well at the end, the framing of it, even just like the doctor down in his drink and not even listening to the toast. In the context of what they've written, done amazingly well. Yeah. Does that make up for the fact that it's a terrible fucking way to get rid of a character? No. Does it make up for the fact that they've basically retconned all the development that character has had? No. Does it make up for the really slow pacing? No. But I understand why people really like the story and like I said there are bits of it that I really enjoy originally I was going to give it a 2.5 I'll be honest mm. yeah um because the retro the retroactive fucking over of Joe really really bothers me mm. however the strength of the performance though if you hadn't yeah. watched it the whole if you hadn't been watching them sequentially like we are you probably yeah. wouldn't have gotten as pissed off about the jealous doctor part or about Joe's, you know, personality being mm. retconned. So um, I gave it a three. Um, it's a generous three, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I gave it a three, um, which I'm kind of sad about because a lot of people go on about this story. They talk about Joe's departure as like one of the great departures from the show. Um, and I agree that of the departures we've seen so far, it's definitely one of the most emotional. Mm -hmm. But being emotional doesn't mean it's good. Do yeah. you know? Um, oh, yeah, no, so for me, it's, it's a three. Um, I will tell you what, my mother had the same vote as you. She went to 3.5, okay. which is surprising because when we watched the first half, I said, oh, it's, it's on a three for me. She's like, oh, you're being very generous. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and she liked the Claws of Axos better than this one. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> but I think there's, wow. there's more happening in the Claws of Axos. There was more um, action. Um, she did have her same thing of like, you know, during the fight scenes, uh, oh, could your man have jumped any higher to help your man toss him over or whatever? Um, but mum also gave it 3.5. She also agreed it was too long. Um, mm. It's a three, it's roughly three hour story, give or take like 20 minutes. That could have been told yeah. in an hour in mum's description. <laughs> but I think that's her feeling for all of classic who, to be honest. Um, yes, I think it is. This is her second story now. She thinks that the pacing mm. is very slow overall. And she thinks the special effects are shocking. Um, I have tried to explain to her the budget of the time. I have tried to explain to her what they were working with. And her thing is, that's no fucking excuse. <laughs> get, get her to watch Pyramids with you. Please get her to watch Pyramids with you. <laughs> and she's like, we're watching this last night. And she was like, kind of like, okay. Right. Okay, and I'm like, why couldn't I have watched last week's episode with you? <laughs> last week's was really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so overall for season 10, your average, like I said, is a 4.0. My average is still quite high. It's a 4.2. And our combined average is a 4.10. Um, nice. If we add in... Let me just do a little thing. D77. D7. No. D81. Okay, so your average for the entire uh, show so far is Mm a 3.69. Mine is a 3.64, and our overall is a 3.66. And that is after 10 seasons of the show. Honestly, guys, we do do love the show. We do. We do. We do. We really do. Although, like, when this season had, like, I need to open it up again. This season had two fives from both of us. It had two fours from me. Like, this season is a strong season. Personally, did it stick the landing? I don't think so. But no, that's, know, just, it, that's it, just my it, opinion. That's just our opinion, and if your if your opinion is different, then you know we want to hear from you. Absolutely, as always. So, and as speaking of as always, as always, we are going to have a rambling for the departure of Joe, and giving you a bit of a spoiler. This was a fucking tough one. <laughs> it really was. Um, yeah. I have my list. I don't know if I'm happy with my list, but I'm just going to stick to the list I've written. if i if i did the list again i'd I'd probably change it and if i did it again i'd change it again so i'm just going to stick with the list that i have (laughs) right so that's for wednesday (laughs) mm -hmm. and then on next week so monday week we're starting season 11 with the introduction of someone that we've been waiting a very long time for yay (laughs) So join us next week, guys, when we introduce the character of Sarah Jane Smith. Till then, bye.